Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're chatting with Jay Beaumont, the founder of the sorry, the co-founder of the ABA and the founder of the incredible Meatstock Barbecue Festivals. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? Jay, welcome again to the show, my friend. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Ben. Anytime, mate. Now, I just got to say, you look fantastic. Are you in a new studio by any chance? I, I, I am. I've got a, we've set up a little studio here in Port Macquarie where we are and we've got some lighting. Um, I've got a bit of fill light on the other side. So yeah, we are uh, in a little studio that we built in Port Macquarie to do some videos. Beautiful. And I know that you've been uh, operating that for a, for a little while now. I've seen quite a few videos sort of popping up there. And I understand that, that you've been working with someone uh, sort of from up my way just this weekend. Yeah, Big Red, Graham. He's been in the studio filming this weekend. I've eaten very well, I've got to tell you. Um, we've done 11 recipes in two days. Um, wow. So I mean, that's the benefit to working with a, a real chef. Um, and he's, he's made some amazing food, so we can't wait to share them. Um, but it's been good for me because people uh, have come to me instead of me having to go to them. Um, but yeah, we built this studio to do a whole lot more of this stuff. And uh, it's kind of gotten in the way a few times. And now Meatstock has gotten in the way of, of me filming. So we, we did have a run there for about a week or so where we did make a lot of content. And then for the last three months, we've done uh, bugger all. But uh, we're trying to get back into it. Yeah, well, I'd imagine that, um, you know, with 11 recipes in two days a week, what that what does that work out as like 40 videos or something? That's, that's, yeah, that's still a hell of a lot of content. There's a big difference between me doing the videos and Graham doing the videos. He's a professional. I'm an amateur. Um, so we did a, I did a few videos where I filmed where somebody filmed me and then I did a few bit videos where I filmed some other people and uh, we had various uh, levels of success. But, um, but having someone like Graham in the studio that does this for a living at the Stockpot Kitchen, uh, I think it's in Lismore, and just to watch him work compared to how we work is just chalk and cheese. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. I do videos myself here in my little home studio, and i I got to do everything, just me. And it takes me, like, if I'm lucky, I get two videos done in a day. And it's a long well, day. It's starting at 6 a.m. Yeah. and packing up at midnight sort of thing. Yeah, they're hard work. People don't realize how much effort goes into these videos, right? Um, but when you've got someone who knows how to work a camera and you've got someone who knows how to cook, you can really punch through them pretty quick. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. And you've been traveling a bit as well. You've been down in, uh, d- down in Melbourne doing some content for some people too. Yeah, I went down to Adelaide and filmed a bit for Foodland. Uh, Foodland, I think, is a big supermarket chain, chain down there. And I filmed a bit with Adriano with BRZ Foods and with, with his rubs. And we were at the Weber uh, Grill Academy. We filmed there. Um, what an amazing! If you haven't been there, this setup is amazing um, in Adelaide, and and they were really you know great people, really hospitable. So we filmed there for two or three days, and we've got some videos coming out that Foodland have produced with Adriano. And then I went down to uh, Melbourne and filmed with Barbecue Asylum, uh, Shane and Chloe, and we did some filming down there. And while I was there, I snuck into the wave pool and relived my youth on on a bodyboard. Those photos did look like a hell of a lot of fun, man. You looked like a pro. <laughs> I got lucky on a few shots, but yeah, well, it, because it's a wave pool, it's a really consistent wave. So you can kind of figure out how it works and get in out of the barrel pretty easily. 
um, which is a lot different to surfing, you know, real waves out in the ocean, but it felt the same. It felt just like a real wave and uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, I need to work on my fitness for next time I go back. That's for sure. Yeah, I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, do the waves come in like, like, like each wave is consistent or do they replicate nature where you'll get two or three little ones and then the fourth one's the big one. Like you got to, do you have to sit and watch and, and sort of recognize the sets and work out which wave you want? So there's about 16 people in the lineup and the waves come in sets of 12. So, um, eight, and, and they'll probably come 10 seconds apart. So literally it's a, just a mad rush. Like everyone has to kind of get in position and everyone takes their turn. So you, you're in a traditional lineup, like in a real surf environment, and everyone takes their turn of catching a wave. If you miss a wave, you can paddle right back around again because you're not getting the next one. Um, oh, wow. Kind of, yeah, they force you. To, you know, if you miss your wave, that's, you know, so you're not taking the next person's wave. So it's a, it's a lot of hard work to get back into the lineup in time to catch the next set. Um, but, yeah, they do come, you know, 12 waves at a time, 10 seconds apart, and then you – then you have like a three or four minute breather. Right. I'm going to have to go check that out because that sounds awesome. It was I love well the sound of that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 Now in today's episode, we're not going to get into your whole backstory of barbecue for the viewers and the listeners. We, we did all that almost two years ago now, if you can believe that, that that's wild. That was June, 2020 when you were last on the show. So for the viewers and listeners who want to catch Jay's backstory, how did he get into barbecue? how he started out, all that sort of stuff. Head back there, episode 107, check that out. Jay, today I want to kick things off by uh, getting into Meatstock Toowoomba. Tell us what's happening in Meatstock Toowoomba. Yeah, so we've got a, we've got a new Meatstock coming. So uh, a lot of, there's been a lot of um, pressure on us over the years to come to Queensland, specifically Brisbane. Um, but there's already events in Brisbane. There was already good events in Brisbane. Um, and we couldn't kind of, find our niche in Queensland for a long time. But then we got approached by Toowoomba by um, the, there's like a, a, a mob called Tisby and they're like a regional development kind of organization. And they uh, asked what it would take to get us to Toowoomba. And uh, we met with the showgrounds there. We have some support from council and uh, all those things have come together to allow us to be able to produce what might be, you know, one of the biggest meat stocks that we do in the country. Um, definitely in terms of things to do, the quality of the lineup of bands. Um, you know, we're doing four SCAs back to back to back to back. Uh, we've got an ABA competition and there's so much stuff going on over that weekend. So we're really excited to be in Toowoomba, um, which is not that far away, to be honest. No, it's not. It's just a couple of weeks away from the, uh, f- from the time that we're recording this. Now, you, you said that the, uh, that the Toowoomba Council reached out, uh, sorry, the Toowoomba Development Body reached out to you to bring meat stock to you. Does that happen often or do you have to spend a lot of time sort of uh, when you're planning on expanding and, and, and implementing a new festival? Do they often come to you or do you have to spend time sort of scouting out locations? Um, to start with, we definitely had to scout out locations. Um, we definitely had to go and see what support was on the ground and whether people wanted it there or not and whether we had enough caterers and whether the showgrounds even wanted us there and how much they would charge us. Um, but as we've grown and now we've got 20,000 people coming to a festival, we're kind of like a pretty cool event that people would love to have in their hometown. So it's not a day that goes by that someone says, when are you going to do one in Perth? When are you going to do one in South Australia? When are you going to do one in Bundaberg? When are you going to do one in, you know, and 
the problem with meat stock is they're just so big. They're big, massive events and they're very expensive to put on. Um, so we've got to be really particular about where we go. And at the end of the day, it's all a bunch of people that kind of do this part-time and on a volunteer basis. So it's not like uh, we've got a big crew of 10 people in an office looking or scouting out locations. So the Toowoomba thing just made sense. Uh, so a few Americans have said to me, tell me a bit about Toowoomba. And the way I've explained it is it's kind of like the Texas of Australia. And that's kind of how I, I think of Toowoomba. I like it. It's rough. It's rustic. Um, it's a working class. It's got some beautiful areas as well. Um, I, I just, within a hundred kilometers of Toowoomba would be probably four or five major abattoirs where potentially 50% of our beef comes from. So it really is the beef heartland of the country. Um, you know, Grant at, at Grant uh, Coleman, he uh, operates Oki Beef there. And if you ever get a chance to go into one of those op you know, processing facilities like what they have in Toowoomba, which is, you know, Oki's just outside Toowoomba, it really is the heartland of beef in Australia. So that's kind of why it made sense for us to take meat stock there. Yeah, definitely. I can certainly see that. And um, so you mentioned that there's going to be four SCA competitions. Is that going to be spread across two days or is it going to be just one day starting early in the morning and finishing in the night? No. So the plan that we've got is that if you want to do SCA, you can arrive on Wednesday or Thursday morning. Then we have SCA, two different stake hand-ins on the Thursday with two auxiliaries. And then on the Friday, we have another two stake hand-ins with uh, two auxiliaries. So you've virtually got eight hand-ins in two days, uh, and that's the Thursday and the Friday. And we've got some really good sponsors for the stake uh, competition. So each of those big processing facilities, including uh, Jack's Creek, JBS, Oki Beef, and there's another one there as well. Um, and they have supplied all the steaks. So the quality of the meat will be phenomenal. Um, and it's just something that I think how can I not go to Toowoomba where all this beef comes from and not, you know, do the biggest steak competition I can possibly muster up. Yeah, that's a great idea. So d does each of those four providers then uh, sponsor one event? Uh, sorry, one, one SCA? Yeah. That's going to be really interesting to see all those sort of steaks lined up side by side and see the different judging scores and uh, particularly things like, like texture, for example. Yeah, 100%. And what I'm looking forward the most is, there's a little bit of luck in competitive barbecue. Anyone who competes in competitive barbecue knows there's luck and anyone knows that there, there's a, you know, a lot of teams that can win on any, any given day, right? But there's four of these things in two days. So I'm really interested on who can, someone like James Park maybe can add up and find out who is the actual king of steak across those two days because they've got four different events to really sort out who's the best. Yeah, that's going to be super interesting. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, how how other ways? Sorry, what other ways are is Meatstock Toowoomba going to be different to say Meatstock Melbourne, Meatstock Sydney, or Auckland? Because I've been to Melbourne a couple of times, and uh, the, the 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 Melbourne Festival has quite a sort of an alternative subculture kind of kind of theme to it. You got the the rock bands, you got the the hot rod cars, you got the tattoos, the axe throwing, all that sort of stuff. And uh, one of the big things I noticed about the marketing for Meatstock Toowoomba is a whole lot of country music and a whole lot of country stars. So are we seeing a bit of a shift in the Meatstock format or is it, is it just the music? What's, what's going to change? We, we always had the idea at Meatstock that we, we didn't want to pick a genre. So, you know, whether it's 
you know, we do a lot of reggae in New Zealand. We do a lot of uh, rock and roll in Sydney and Melbourne. And um, we thought, well, Toowoomba, why not country, you know? And I think that I like the idea of the fact that every day at Meatstock is sometimes a bit different. And uh, I think if we're ever going to do a country lineup, then Toowoomba is probably a good place for it. Um, and we've got like the creme de la creme of Australian country artists appearing. So yeah, we just thought that uh, Toowoomba was a great place for a country lineup and we don't want to be known as our oh, meat stock. That's just where you get some rock and roll. No, if you come to New Zealand, it's going to be very reggae uh, influenced. Um, and th- we have, a, you know, we have country artists and all sorts of things, but you do get a good mix of artists at, at a meat stock festival. But yeah, when it comes to Toowoomba, it's a full country lineup. We've got Lee Koenigan, Brad Cox, the Wolf Brothers, Casey Barnes. I mean, these, you know, these guys are, are, are at the top of their game when it comes to country music in Australia. Yeah, I've actually met Casey Barnes before. He is absolutely crushing it at the moment. He's doing so well over in the States. And uh, it's, it's great to see an Aussie lad really uh, kicking butt over in the States. His music is, you know, it's, it's, it's so crazy. If he was based in America, probably, he'd be a major star. Oh, but huge. he's in Australia, the country with 24 million people or whatever we've got, and about a tenth of those like country music. So he's got a really small base to work off, but his, his songs and his music is world-class. He's a standout performer. And the same goes for Brad Cox. Um, you know, the quality of what, the, what those guys are doing in a country like Australia in terms of country music is it's the next generation of country. That's the way I explain it. Yeah, yeah. And so are we going to see some of the, uh, some of the other attractions changing as well? Are we going to see like a, a cattle roping event or uh, one of the, the, the inflatable bull ride things? In the, like w- what sort of stuff are we going to see that's going to be country themed? So a few things with meat stock stay consistent, right? We've always got a mechanical bull, for example. We do the beard and mow wars. We do the um, car, you know, car show as well. We do a barbecue expo. But for Toowoomba, we've got a strongman competition, which is actually happening at Sydney and Melbourne as well. So there's a, um, we get to see some, some people lift some crazy weights. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the strongman competition. It's something different. Um, but at Toowoomba as well, which is unique to any meat stock that we've got, is the PBR, the PBR bull riding. So PBR are going to do uh, a Saturday lunchtime show, a Saturday night show, and a Friday night show. Um, two of those three are already booked out. Um, and we've just got a few tickets left for the Saturday lunchtime show. But yeah, they're going to put on a, a proper bull riding in the, uh, in the stadium that they've got down there in, in Toowoomba. And uh, so that should be pretty good. And that's unique to Toowoomba. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it, it almost sounds like you're channeling a little bit of the uh, Houston Livestock Rodeo show over there. Yeah, 100%. I mean, 100%. That's kind of what we're trying to do. Like all those things kind of fit together. And uh, we're trying to be like a, you know, a wonderland for, for that, you know, an Easter, an Easter show that's based around barbecue. Uh, that's what we're trying to be. And I think the bull riding is a great addition that fits right in. So good, man. So good. Now, you mentioned the, uh, the strongman before, the strongman competition. I know that um, Chris Davey from Smoking Hot Bros used to be into powerlifting, as I understand it. Do you think we're going to see any, any pitmasters crossover from the uh, barbecue competition into the strongman competition? It'd be, it'd be cool. I, I, I don't know who's in the scene. I think Jai Healy might have a bit of strongman experience, but um, it'd be cool. Maybe, I don't know if they let us, we might have a little bit of a 
team's competition down there <laughs> late at night or something like that. It'd be fun. But um, Oh, after hours. After hours. <laughs> 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 no, but these, I suppose when it comes to the strongman, these people are professionals. They work every day. They've been doing it for 10 years to get to that sort of strength. And uh, I'm just interested in seeing how it, how it all works and how it all goes. Yeah, well, we've also got um, Craig Weggett up here from from Bullockhead Creek Smokers, and I'm pretty sure he actually used to be an Olympic weightlifter. So if there's a uh, if there's a masters category, then we might see Craig Weggett come out of retirement if he can uh, if he can lift up some of the uh, iron that he puts into those giant trailer smokers. He should be good in the strongman comp. I think I think that's even how he got started into barbecue was because he was building a lot of stuff for you know uh, weightlifting competitions. Um, but I know he's got a big history in there, and yeah, it'd be cool to see him have a crack. It would, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So tell me, what um, what sort of pitmaster guests do we have coming to to Toowoomba? For uh, when I was in Melbourne, I saw Tuffy. I've seen Mo come out for for a couple of meat stocks. Um, who have we got coming for uh, for Toowoomba? Uh, it's pretty light on at the moment. I've got to tell you. Um, well, there's obviously- there's certain travel restrictions which are going to be making that a bit more difficult. Yeah, and to be honest, we haven't really officially kind of announced anyone yet. Um, you know, we've got uh, Mike and Christina that are dead keen on coming out from Sugarfire, and we'd love to have them out as well. But there's a list of people that we've got earmarked to come out, but we really are being cautious at the moment. Um, I don't want anyone to have to quarantine for seven days or whatever it is. So once we open the borders and we have some uh, guarantees that you can come and go freely from Australia, then we'll um, hopefully announce some sort of pitmasters. But until then, we haven't really, you know, to be honest, we've concentrated on everything else to do with the festival and really left that uh, part to maybe potentially the last minute. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we've got quite a few um, sort of uh, local pitmaster celebrities now that have reached that sort of that that status as well. There's, you know, pitmaster Adam Roberts, uh, Rob Thraves, I've seen a couple of posters for your other festivals with with him front and centre there. You know, uh, Black Iron Smokers as well. Do you have some uh, some some locals coming as well? Yeah, hundred percent. That's going to be our um, that's going to be our focus, I suppose, especially for the first Melbourne and for the first Toowoomba event. Is that we're really going to focus on our homegrown talent. So um, we've got Mike Mike Patrick is coming up um, from Melbourne. You know, his fancy Hanks. Uh, we've got, uh, it's red gum, um, Martin. So Martin's going to come up and do a bit of stuff in Sydney as well. Um, and also Laura from Weber, um, who's now a grill master. I want to say with Weber, which is like a year, two year long process or something like that. So we are focused on some homegrown talent and these people are as good as it gets in Australia in terms of, you know, pitmasters that are standing out. So we're, we're, we're happy to have them. Um, in terms of internationals, yeah, we'll have to wait, but um, I'm pretty excited about the uh, homegrown lineup we've got anyway. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, j- just a ripper of a program that, that you've got lined up there. Now, in a time when it's really hard to put on events, we've seen like a whole lot of people have to cut their events. Just last week, we lost Bundy for the first time in five or six years. Um, you've been able to grow and expand. What What's your what's your secret sauce? Oh, I don't I don't know if we've grown or expanded. Um, we, I've just been proactive on you know like this was never a job for me. This has always been a hobby, and I've got a job. I've got a day job, 
So um, I'm in publishing. So I like barbecue. I like filming. I like creating content. So we've managed with Meatstock to keep our name out there by at least um, being able to still be remain active on social media. But in terms of running an event, I mean, the last event we run was in Auckland in 2020 in February. So we haven't been able to showcase what we have done for two years. Um, it's been a long time. And it's been a long time to watch a business get drained in money and not make anything. So um, it's, it's, it's put it this way, you know, a lot of businesses have been really hard hit by COVID, but none more so than the travel industry or the festival industry. And um, as much as, as much as the government will claim that they're out there supporting, you know, we haven't seen any of it. Um, we don't qualify because we're not a, you know, music festival, we're a barbecue festival. And unfortunately we didn't, didn't kind of qualify for, you know, the funding, funding round. So it's been a tough time, but it really has, it's been a tough time. And that's why it's so important that we get everything back up and running again and uh, get the show back on the road. Well, here's an idea. What if you opened and closed the festivals with a song led by the Hillsong Choir? Would you, would you attract government, uh, government funding then? Potentially, potentially. <laughs> if, we scrap, if we scrapped all of the barbecue out of our event, we would get funding. If we uh, turned it into church, we would get funding. But um, there's no real department that looks after food festivals, unfortunately. So um, anyway, look, I'm just, from a personal point of view, I'm just happy that we can get this show back on the road. I really am. So, um, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the benefit for us. I mean, I don't want to take any government funding or anything like that, but um, I'm just glad that we can get the show back on the road because if we had to go through another two years of this, then, you know, festivals like this just wouldn't exist. There'll be nothing left. No, no. All right, now, I've, I've got to put a rumour to you that I've heard. Meatstock Brazil, confirm or deny? That's confirmed. They've launched. Um, (laughs) So Meatstock Brazil is happening on the 9th and the 10th of July. Um, It's about an hour out of Sao Paulo. Uh, It's being run by a couple of good friends of ours. So uh, I've got a pitmaster over there called Daniel and a company over there called King's Barbecues that manufacture barbecues. They've taken on the brand and they're running with it over there in Brazil. I'm hoping to grab a group of maybe 10, 20 of us and head over there. So that's my hope for um, July that we can travel to and from. And uh, yeah, they're going to roll a meat stock out with a big barbecue competition. It's already the biggest barbecue competition in Brazil. So they've got, I think uh, Daniel said 50 teams already. Oh, wow. Uh, so yeah, it's already the, big, already the biggest barbecue competition in Brazil. And then on top of that, it's, it's a meat stock. So there's a car show, there's competitions, there's bands, uh, similar to what there's a meat stock. And it's also uh, based around a, uh, it's like a motorbike rodeo is the only way I can explain it, called Lucky Friends. <laughs> so, so it's where they race like uh, Harley Davidson's around a dirt track, um, but not cool, fast ones like old classics. So it's, it's, uh, it should be something different. It's something unique. And uh, I can't wait to get over there in July and be part of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, James Park is just volunteering online here to, uh, to, to head on over there with you to, to meet Stock Brazil. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to take a big group with us. So the, the, one, the one thing that happened the last time we went over there is we lucked, and I mean lucked upon a person called Adriano who could speak um, Portuguese. 
and he saved our bacon quite a few times. So um, now that we've got Adriano uh, committed to coming over for these trips, then I'm pretty confident we could take some bigger groups. And a lot of us have already done the, you know, American barbecue, you know, pilgrimage, but the next cab off the rank has to be Brazil. It's, it is honestly the wild West. They they love their barbecue and they've got a great culture. And in, in some ways they, um, they're kind of leading the way. I've got to be honest. There's a, there's a, a festival over there called Truscada, which is hands down the best barbecue festival in the world. And that, that business has also set up a bunch of restaurants um, that, are, that are under that brand, Truscada, and they would be the best barbecue restaurants in the world in terms of size, capacity, different types of cooking styles. But if you get a chance, look them up, um, Truscada. They've got some restaurants over there. I think they've got two or three now. And just the scale of these restaurants and the um yeah the scale but also the different cuisines that they cook you know they're cooking traditional brazilian style they're cooking american low and slow as well but you know everything from burgers they've got bands great entertainment um the scale of it's just blows my mind yeah it's it's very cool um so the the meat stock competition that's happening in brazil is that going to be American style low and slow or is it going to be, is it going to have a Brazilian spin? Is it going to be, you know, picanha categories and all that sort of stuff? No. So they've really done what we've done too. They've kind of fallen in love with the, you would, I would like to say, you know, it's a KCBS style competition. Um, so you, 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 you're talking about the major proteins, um, but it's all American style. So it's similar to ABA, similar to KCBS, uh, but they call theirs Pitmasters Brazil, I think is the, is the business that they use. And they've obviously got their own judging system and they've got their own judging setup, but it's very similar to KCBS or ABA. Yeah, right. I see. Yeah, you sort of preempted James Park's question there, who will be the sanctioning body in Brazil. So, yeah, that sounds like they've set up their own thing. They have, yeah. Yeah. And we also have a question coming from over on Facebook. Grant Coleman wants to know, can Aussies compete in Brazil? So I, I, I did ask that question and I'm hoping the answer is going to be yes. Apparently uh, we've been very lucky in Australia that teams don't have to register as a food vendor because they're not serving food to the public, but apparently in Brazil you do need to. So there's a little bit of legal requirements for us to go over there and compete in terms of having to register with the local authorities to cook food. Um, but if we can, if we could overcome that hurdle, I would love to take two or three or four teams over to Brazil to compete uh, on behalf of the Aussies and see uh, where we come because I think we do pretty well. We would, yeah. Well, that sort of preempts uh, another one of the questions that I had here was because we've seen um, sort of uh, uh, sister competitions here between Australia and the States where the winner of one gets an invite to go compete in the other country. Um, so I was going to ask, are we going to see anything where, you know, if you win Meatstock Toowoomba, do you automatically get an invite and an entry to go compete at Meatstock Brazil sort of thing? That's the plan. Yeah. The plan is awesome. if you win Brazil, you get to go to Australia. You know, you might go to the Houston, you go to the Royal. Um, if you win in Australia, the same thing happens, but vice versa. Um, that's what we'd like to see. That's what we're working towards. Um, and events like, uh, the Royal events like what's happening in Brazil, events like the Houston Rodeo have been super accommodating with kind of making that happen. And I'd love to see nothing more than people compete in 
Sydney or Toowoomba or Melbourne because they've won a competition in the States as well. So good, man. So good. Now, the last question that I've got, it's a little bit of a wild and woolly rumor, so I don't know about this. I've heard about meat stock Saudi Arabia. Yeah, yeah. So nothing's confirmed. We've, 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 uh, we, are, we are hoping that sometime either this year or next year that there will be an event in the Middle East. And um, there's a lot more to announce. There's nothing real. There's nothing to announce at the moment, but hopefully in due course we'll be able to announce something like that. Fascinating. Cool stuff, man. All right, well, look, we're going to take a short little break and then we will be right back. Hey, family, it's time to uh, get your winter gear ready. So we've uh, on the Smoking Hot Confessions shop over on our website, smokinghotconfessions.com slash shop. We've got our beanies. We've got our hoodies. We've got our fantastic tumblers for keeping those hot drinks hot while you're out by the pit in the middle of the night. So head on over there, check them out. Award-winning designs. Uh, NBBQA Best Barbecue Apparel 2021 for the uh, Hail Mary design you can see on the back of the hoodie there. So head on over there, check that out, smokinghotconfessions.com slash shop. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. Alrighty, Jay, now there's uh, one particular topic which is kind of hot at the moment and that is the new format of the ABA Awards, but I want to sort of just take a couple of steps back before we get into that. Now, you had um, you had co-founded the ABA, you'd been a big part of setting it up for, for several years, and you were able to sort of pass that on and focus more on the meat stock festivals, and now you're sort of back taking the reins of the ABA as it were. Can you give us a bit of a bit of a walkthrough of that process? Um. Yeah, the, the ABA had a bit of a, a board, what I call a board reshuffle, and um, I've, I'm definitely not taking on the reins. We've got um, a pretty good group of five people. So um, the board is refreshed. There's a new group. Um, we have, obviously, Adam Rothwell, the president. We have a, a, a president who's staying, staying in the position and doing a great job. But I think there's just a lot of reinvigoration in the board. There's a lot of reinvigoration in the ABA. Um, I was a little bit of a quiet uh passive board member for two years preceding that um but now i guess you know it's kind of it needs a bit of a reinvigoration and um that's kind of what we're trying to do and by doing things like the awards um and the protein series that we've got running coming up um and the team's committee i feel like we've gone a long way into trying to make the aba a, a, a bigger and better organization and definitely more professional it's certainly starting to show there, yeah. So, can you give us an idea of um, of, of who is now on that five person panel? So, I'm going to get in trouble here because I forget names, but we've got Grant Coleman. <laughs> so, so Grant is um, Oaky Beef. Um, Grant is uh, been competing in competitive barbecue for um, a long time. Obviously, very very highly accomplished. So, we've got Grant. We've got Demi. Demi's got a lot of experience. Demi works for the MLA. She does a lot of uh, judging of meat in its raw form. Um, we've obviously got myself, we've got um, Adam Rothwell. So Adam has been our president for a while. Um, and am I at five? Who am I forgetting? I think that was four. Yeah. Is, is, is Rosie still on there? No. Um, oh, he's going to kill me. 
Andrew Kavanagh from the Q Club. <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll get a phone call in about half an hour he's when we're gonna, done here. He's gonna, he's gonna kill me. I hate being put on the spot. But yeah, look, Andrew, Andrew is um Q Club, standout business. He's run barbecue events, so um, I couldn't think of anyone better to have on the board that represents Australian barbecue any more than Andrew does. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So let let's get into the um into the awards process then. For those uh, unfamiliar with the ABA awards, can you give us an idea of of what they were like before you've sort of started all these changes? So to give us an idea of the starting point and to where you're going with it. Yeah, so we did some awards back in the early days and the categories were either voted on by the board themselves, so the five board members, or they were a popular vote. And by a popular vote, we mean that we did our annual survey. We had about a thousand people fill our annual survey in. And as part of that annual survey, they could vote on their personality of the year, butchery of the year, business of the year, team of the year, event of the year. And it was popular vote. So what that means is that you can get out and self-promote. You can really get out and ask your customers to vote for you. You can ask your friends and family to vote for you. You know, obviously people can only vote once and we cross-check everything. But, you know, it's a popularity contest. That's what it was. And I think there's definitely room for that in um, awards. You know, a lot of awards are run by popularity contests. So, but what we've done then is we've added to that. So we've added a peer section, a peer voted section, which is where a much smaller group of people that are right into barbecue, understand barbecue, they work in it, they know it, they compete in it, they have restaurants, they... Um, you know, might be on boards or in teams. We've got this great group where each one of the team committee members put together five uh, people that they thought best represented barbecue. And they have specifically vote on new categories, which is restaurant of the year, catering operation of the year, barbecue pit builder of the year, uh, best barbecue apparel, best competition team setup, video of the year, photo of the year. So these are new categories that I kind of feel like we've really dug deep to find out of potentially 40, you know, uh, people who were nominated for the restaurant of the year. And then we've dug deep to get down to a final eight. And now we're digging right down deeper with the peer voting to get to a winner. Yeah. It's a really uh, interesting process. Um, it, it feels to me like it's kind of gone um, from more from just a competition barbecue focus to more of a wider uh, barbecue industry focus which i think is really interesting yeah if you think about it there was really apart from a few people that i can i can name but there was there was really no barbecue industry in this in this country five six years ago there wasn't it didn't exist um there was a couple of scattered restaurants and the odd pit builder here and there but that was it that's all we had there was no culture there was no industry um but now six years later maybe seven years later there is you know, some of these categories have 40 or 50 nominated, nominated businesses. Um, and that's all grown in the last six years. Um, so I think it's a cool time to celebrate how quickly this thing's boomed and how quickly barbecues become a major part of a lot of people's lives, um, myself and yourself included. Um, and I think it'd be cool to do something that we, we celebrate that growth. And so this awards and the way we've changed it is about that. It's about celebrating the growth of barbecue in Australia. And it, a lot of people are doing amazing things now that blow my mind in terms of the new restaurants that are set up and who's building pits and the kind of pits that they're building. Um, 
to see all that flourish in the last, you know, three or four years in terms of some serious growth has been great. And I can't wait to be in awards that kind of celebrates that. It has been wild. Yeah. I, I remember when I first got into low and slow barbecue around 2012, I was having to make all my own rubs and sauces because there was no low and slow style rubs and sauces. And now we're, we're coming into these new ABA awards with the rub and sauce categories. And we've got what, 130 entries into the, into the rub category, something like that. It's yeah, just, that, it's huge. Unbelievably that blows, huge. That blows my mind. And you're, you're right about the whole, you know, when, when me and you probably first got into barbecue, we were on forums online, you know, not Facebook groups, but forums trying to figure out how to put a rub together and buying all the ingredients and putting our own rubs together. And now what you can buy, I wouldn't dream of putting my own rubs together anymore. So, um, and to see how many teams and businesses have jumped onto this sort of like rub, rub thing that's kind of become a, it's become a big thing. My cupboard is full of rubs. And I know that all my friends' cupboards are full of rubs now. And um, yeah, it's just exciting to see. And the rub category is a whole nother section of the awards. So, you know, we've got the board nominated ones, we've got the popularity or the, the, the public vote, then we've got the peer vote, and then these uh, sources and rubs are going to be judged uh, next weekend. And uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with a great group of people too. Yeah, give us a bit of an idea and um, share as much as you're comfortable with about the judging process. Yeah, so I should step back a bit and say we've got a a basically an awards committee. So those people uh, have come together, and I'll just I'll just read them out because I have written um, everyone's name down. But we've got James Park, who's the head judge. Uh, We've got Matt Harris, Doug Thomas, Brett Connell. Alan Coe, we've got yourself, we've got myself, and that was really the committee. And we had some really robust discussions and some debate about how things should yes, work. Yes, we did. And, and, <laughs> and people had some heated opinions, and that's okay, right? Because there's many ways to skin a cat, and um, and that's not to say that we've even got it right this year. You know, we'll we'll definitely make improvements for uh, uh, the following years. But I think it's important to get a good group of people together that really do have barbecue right at its heart and we all care and uh so i'm pretty confident that we've put together a good committee and then on top of that the committees help select uh a judging panel or a judging crew which is part committee part people we know that are going to meet uh next weekend and we're going to judge all of these rubs and sauces and to the and to do them justice properly instead of us just um tasting the rubs out of the bottle because that would be nice and easy Rubs taste different when they're cooked. So we literally have to cook every single rub on a protein and we have to barbecue it. And not only do we have to do it once, we have to do it four times for each rub because there's four, four different judges as part of that category. So we're going to have our work cut out for us cooking so much barbecue uh, with every rub, but I feel like it's the only way to do it justice. Um, so we're, we're, going, we're going to have a busy couple of days judging and maybe some palate fatigue, but hopefully we'll be okay. I, I, I dare say there will be with 130 rub entries and then four, four samples per rub. That's uh, what, 520 samples. Correct. Yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. It, it is a lot. So splitting the two judging teams, it's about 200 sort of samples across the, the weekend. Um, but yeah, it's the only way to do it justice. 
and we didn't want to have big massive judging teams because I kind of feel like a smaller judging crew with a couple of tables instead of 10 tables I think we'll get some really good results um, and I'm, I'm excited by the process that we've come up with James has developed a really good judging system mm. um, so I'm pretty confident and the pressure is going to be on to make sure we can cook all this food next yeah. week. Yeah, yeah. Now just just explain um, just a little bit more about uh, about James's system there. So um, you're actually not going to be judging. You're going to be doing the cooking as I understand it and James yeah. is not going to be judging. He's going to be taking care of the, the, uh, the, the, the overall judging process like a head judge type thing. Um, what what measures have been taken to ensure that it's a a blind tasting? Yeah, so everyone who's entered their rubs has sent their rubs to James. James then a week before the competition is taking out all of those rubs from their containers and placing them into plain containers and they're coded. So when it comes to the day itself, we don't know whose rubs whose other than the coding system. So similar to what ABA or KCBS would use in terms of coding system. Um, and then from there, uh, the rub gets placed onto some protein. So let's hypothetically say it's a chicken tenderloin and then cooked and the skewer itself has the code for that particular rub on the skewer. So when we judge it, just like we do in ABA or KCBS, um, we're basically judging based on the code that we don't know what it is. And um, we feel like cooking it on the protein will allow us to really better judge the rubs themselves um, so james has got a pretty complex system um, of making sure that it's blind and making sure that we have really no idea i think sometimes some people would like to think they could guess which rub it is and you know there are some rubs with very distinct you know, lambs one of them where they're very distinctive but because we've got so many entries i think it's going to be near impossible to tell what you're judging and all the judges will know is that there's a code there and um so yeah, I'm I'm really confident in the process we've got set up, and uh, really confident in James's system. So yeah, we're looking forward to to um, getting it done. Absolutely, yeah, it's a really robust system, and uh, and and as I said before, I love that it's a kind of a wider uh, industry scope. What do you think the the implications are for the winners um, of of winning under such a robust peer peer evaluated uh, national industry awards um, system. I'm just hoping some of these businesses can pick up that accolade and really run with it. And whether that means using it to go to big box retailers like Coles or Woolworths, for example, you know, Costco and saying, Hey, this is the number one rub in the country, or this was the top 10 rub in the country. Um, I think they could get a lot of media publicity out of it by going to the local news, news stations or radio stations or newspapers and saying, Hey, look, I produce the number one source or whatever that is. And so I hope that they, I hope the businesses that do win use it to their advantage um, because I, I feel like they have a lot of substance behind them. So, you know, if you win restaurant of the year or even just being a finalist, right? Um, just being in the top eight barbecue restaurants is an accolade in itself. So, you know, if you're up there, sing it from the rooftops, thank your customers. Um, and if you, you know, do well in the, the, the rubs and sources award, just know that, um, it's because you, you know, it's because your product's really good and you should tell people about that by saying, Hey, it did win just like it's happened in the wine industry, right? People buy wines based on the fact that they've won medals. And so why wouldn't it be any different for rubs and sources? 
Exactly, yeah. I, I know that that often gets me over the line when I'm looking at uh, a new rub or sauce on the shelf. If it has one of those little gold seal stickers on it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that one a go. That's so I can, yeah. I can see that happening here as well. Now, tell us about the actual award ceremony because that's being switched up a little bit as well. Yeah, so the award ceremony is going to be on the Thursday night at Toowoomba. So because we've already got a big setup there and because most of the teams are probably already going to be there, it was the most logical place to hold it. Um, it won't always be there. It might be somewhere else. But for the moment, it's on the Thursday night um, at Toowoomba. And uh, I wouldn't expect it to be too glamorous, but, you know, we do have some round tables and we do have uh, yourself um, as an as a MC. So I am looking forward to, you know, we've got big screens and a nice stage and, you know, all the things that Meatstock has. So it should be a pretty cool night. Um, and if anything, whether you're nominated or not nominated, grab yourself a ticket and just come along and have some fun and celebrate people that do win. Because, um, you know, I think it's, it's one thing to be successful yourself, but I think there's also a certain amount of joy in watching other people do well as well. Well said, man. Beautifully said. Now, just quickly tell us where people can track down tickets. So tickets are at meatstock.com.au forward slash awards. Um, and you can jump on there and you can book a, uh, just a single seat. I think it's 85 bucks where you can book a table of 10. Uh, we're hoping to get about 200 people. There's about 50 people have booked already. So, um, you know, I think I'm pretty confident we're going to get about 200 people. So that'd be pretty cool. That's going to be a cracker of a night, man. I'm really looking forward to it. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All righty, folks, a big shout out to, to those of you that have joined us in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community over on Facebook this morning. If you're not there yet, that's where we do these live podcast recordings. It's a family-friendly group. All the guff is left at the door. It's a really good time. So come along, spend some time, talk about barbecue and all the other rubbish we leave at the door. So everybody's welcome. We'd love to have you there. The Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook. That's where we are right now. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd, Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Jay, this is the third segment of our show now, which is our lesson for the viewers and, and the listeners. And we couldn't have the amazing videographer, the amazing barbecue videographer, Jay Beaumont in the studio and not hit him up for some uh, for some video tips for those people that are looking to make their own videos at home. So I'm going to throw it over to you and you're going to share some wisdom with us. Yeah, so um, I suppose a lot of people would know that I've been making content, barbecue-related content for a long time. And um, I've done that via photos and videos. And I've learned a lot over the years in terms of how to put the, those things together. And I've self-taught myself as a, probably you, you as well how to edit and, um, and how to create content. And I will say, if you're trying to uh, build a brand, if you're trying to get your team sponsorship, if you are trying to become somebody in the barbecue world or a, a noted person, having good content is, makes all the difference. And um, a few tips I've probably learned along the way are that uh, you can create good content. You don't have to have the world's best gear, but you, but it does make a difference. So the kind of camera that I roll with is probably my kit that fits into a backpack is probably a $10,000 investment. Um, so I've got a camera gear that is a, I have a Sony uh, camera and the lenses are very important. And then plus I've got obviously my editing station where I use Final Cut Pro and then I've got a, a, a 
process where I develop my photos, which is called Lightroom. Um, so all those things make a massive difference. And if you are, are going to get into that space, the only the suggestions that I could make to you is the quality of your gear in some ways really does matter. If you're trying to produce high quality video, then you probably need to invest in some really good gear or the best gear you can afford, just like barbecue, right? Um, your, your barbecue is only as good as the, the, the meat. And when you're creating content, your content's only as good as the equipment that you use. Um, if you don't or can't afford really good content, your phone is pretty bloody good these days, right? Your camera uh, that's on your phone, whether you've got an iPhone or a Samsung, is phenomenal. So the, the suggestions that I'd make is that if you do or can only use an iPhone or a Samsung, is that just invest in some good sound gear. So a lot of people's videos fall apart is because the sound is rubbish and it's because they've got a little inbuilt camera and you're two meters away from them. So invest in some little road microphones. They make the world of difference. Um, so sound is really, really important. Editing is something you can really teach yourself. You don't need to be a professional. You can edit your own videos. There's lots of different setups and tutorials online on YouTube. So you can really learn anything you can start if you've got a Mac in iMovie and then progress your way up to Final Cut Pro. Um, if you've got a PC, I'd suggest you use Premiere, um, but they, they're not that hard to learn, you know, and really you've got to kind of do them to learn them. Um, but social media itself is a hungry beast for content. And oh, you've, yeah. got to get your, you've got to get yourself into a rhythm where you are producing content regularly. So as a good example, my Instagram or Meatstock's Instagram has 200,000 followers on Instagram, right? And to get to that number, I cooked nearly every night for a year and a half. Wow. And I took photos every single night. And, um, you know, my wife told me I wasn't allowed to drink unless I was cooking barbecue. So I cooked barbecue every night for one and a half years. There you go. But, but, the, but the honest truth is that um, that's, that's what I did to get to that 200,000. Now, it's a lot of hard work and I, it's too hard for me to just keep doing it. That's why things have tailed off and, and I've just stuck it, stuck it around 200,000. But producing content, um, you've got to do it regularly and you've got to do it often and the quality of what you do has to be amazing. Um, so if you are only using your phone, sound is a massive one. But the second thing is lighting. Just invest in some good lighting gear. They make the world of difference to your uh, photos. Um, you, you can be lucky sometimes that if you've got a backyard and it's shady and you've got a, uh, a really good, you know, camera phone that that particular point in your backyard, just for whatever reason, the way the light comes in produces really good photos. So a lot of people, I think, you know, boom is a good example, right? He's just perfected that ability to take beautiful photos, but he's just, you know, he doesn't have all the gear. He just has figured out a really good uh, system that works for him where his photos are great. I think Shani's another good example over in uh, New Zealand. She takes amazing photos. Um, Ants, you know, in New Zealand as well, amazing photos. So they've figured it out. They've figured it out and they've done it by continually moving around until they've found where the best shot is of their food. Um, but in reality, my, my methodology is take a lot of photos and only use the best. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you know, if I'm taking photos, I'll take hundreds hundreds of photos and then I'll pick out what I think is the best. So, you know, whether you've got a hard drive or a memory card or, um, or, you know, 
the storage on your phone, you can take thousands of photos now. You're not going to fill the thing. So just keep taking photos and uh, pick out the best ones. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So those, those three core essentials there, decent camera, sound, and lighting. Yeah. Yeah. They're Very the three key, key things. And if you don't have one, it's going to show. If your sound is bad, people are going to notice it. If your video quality is bad, people are going to notice it. If your lighting's bad, people will notice it. Get all three things right and you'll really start to see your numbers on social media move a lot higher than what you would have expected um, because you've got those three things right. That's some beautiful advice, man. Thank you very much for for sharing that with us. All right, well, it's about time to start wrapping up the show. So uh, give some shout-outs to people that have helped you along the way. Give some praise and uh, tell everybody where they can buy their tickets to Meet Stock Toowoomba. Yeah, so Meet Stock Toowoomba's coming up. Um, super excited about that. I really hope to see everyone there. Um, I just want to give a shout-out. I suppose there's so many people that have supported me. Um, definitely, definitely the new ABA board has been... A, really helpful, you know, to helping us get these awards off the ground. So I'm excited about that. But Shannon, Shannon organizes my butcher wars, the butcher wars. I don't know if you've ever seen it at Meatstock, but it is something so to behold in terms of watching what butchers can do in 30, 45 minutes on stage. And Shannon is the guy that really does organize a lot of that. And, um, you know, that event and, and to be honest, the butchery industry in general is lucky to have that man. Um, he's put together the Butcher's Cookbook recently, which is something that, you know, butchers in Australia have been, I won't say forgotten, um, but they've, we've done, they've done it tough for the last 10 years. And this reinvigoration with barbecue, but also with, um, you know, people like Shannon trying to push the industry forward with competitions, um, there's been a real reinvigoration. And a lot of butchers will tell you now that it's changed their business, you know. The fact that they're not just selling chops and sausages anymore, but they're selling a whole range of rubs and sauces and long and slow cuts. And some are even retailing, you know, beer and um, value added, you know, meals and whatnot. So the growth, I think, you know, um, it does come down to people like Shannon. And so um, hats off to him. And he's supported by George, who's a great butcher, and also Stu in terms of um, getting those butcher wars off the ground. And if you've, been, if you've been to a meat stock, you know how good butcher wars is. But if you haven't, make sure you watch it. And, um, you know, there's, there's tons of people that help me. Jared, um, Greg Hart, Stacey Hart, um, Simon Luxton, my business partner, Simon Luke. There's too many people to thank. But, um, you know, meat stock is not really, um, you know, it's a business, but it's not run. It's run by people who do this for passion, passionate reasons. And so um, anyone who supported us or donated time or come along and helped, you know, thank you because this big event that we do wouldn't be possible. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a community effort to be honest. For sure, man. No doubt about that at all. And it sounds like you've got a great team working behind you there and, uh, and supporting your, your leadership and your vision. So look, thanks very much for taking the time out to, to come chat with us on the show. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you next weekend for the ABA award judging. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I'm excited. And there you have it, family. That was the man himself, Jay Beaumont of the ABA and Meatstock. Hell of a lot of changes coming up. It's all heading in the right direction. It's beautiful. Uh, it's really great to see how it's growing and developing. And as I said before, sort of becoming a much wider industry. Uh, we discussed that quite a lot through the episode, so I, I don't need to rehash that here. But look, it's going to be fascinating. Keep an eye on these ABA awards because it's going to be huge. It's going to be really significant now. And uh, it, it's going to be a good night out. So get those tickets to the awards in Toowoomba, and I'll see you there. 
Now, before I let you go, just make sure that you do the thing for us, the likes, the shares, the comments. Uh, new this year is a rating system over on Spotify. So if you're listening to this on Spotify, just take two seconds, hit the five-star button, give us a review. That would really help us out. And if you're on YouTube, make sure that you subscribe because we are getting more into our cooking videos. Right? I mentioned the outdoor studio we have here. We're looking at bringing out some more of that content, and that's going to be exclusively on our YouTube channel. So make sure you look us up, smokinghotconfessions.com. Sorry, Smoking Hot Confessions on YouTube and give us a subscribe over there as well to catch all those delicious smoky cooking goodness. Well, that's it from me. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>